This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Epic versus Skylake, round one. And Cray right sizes to market conditions. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. And Michael, last time we were on uh, This Week in HPC, we were talking about the great Intel Skylake launch that we've been waiting for. And before that, we were talking about AMD in the market with Epic. Here it is. The battle is on. Now we can start to expect to see a lot of comparisons between the two. And this week in HPC, Michael, you've already found some evidence of people doing some comparisons. Right. There's some third-party uh, testing going on now. Now that both, uh, basically both processors are, are out there, at least some uh, some initial process, early adopters certainly, and some uh, some chips that have been sent to specific people that do this sort of thing. So um in looking at some of these it's 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 kind of interesting now i mean we a lot of people started talking about you know the avx512 and how that's basically going to be a, a distinguishing feature that's going to dominate uh the hpc side of the market since only the intel xeon has that now and the, the right Epic- the, the avx512 that's the vector extensions for the skylake processor from intel that'll double the floating point performance Right. The only other compatibility with that was the Xeon Phi system, the Knight's Landing uh, platform that they had. That has the AVX 512 as well, uh, but they've now inserted that into their newest Xeon and getting this big boost. But um, one of the one of the testers, Anantech, which is a, a publication that that does this testing occasionally as well with these these new chips, they they determined they they ran it against a lot of different benchmarks. But one of the benchmarks had to do with floating point. Um, performance and they ran three different tests one of which was namd a very popular hpc code and then a couple of ray tracing codes and what they found out that those codes at least the sort of the versions that are out there now ran actually quite a bit better on the epic the amd epic chips than they did on skylake and that's not because the avx 512 isn't working as as expected those codes don't use that there's not a lot of codes out there that use the AVX 512, it's only on, like I said, that one platform, Xeon Phi. And so the majority of HPC codes and related codes just use straight floating point uh, arithmetic and they use the floating point units. And as it turns out, the Epic floating point unit is pretty darn good. Uh, they've, they've plumbed it pretty well with a lot of pipes and it uh, it looks like it outruns the uh, the floating point unit on the on the newer Xeons, at least for these three specific uh, benchmarks. How much better was it on those three benchmarks, Michael? Well, one of them, I think on one of the ray tracing, it was actually like 40% or a little bit more better. Um, on the NAMD codes, it was uh, actually uh, also, I think, 41% better. They had two NAMD implementations, one of which used uh, AVX, but not AVX 512 because there's, there's older versions. And even on that, it was uh, the AMD Epic was 22% better uh, using the AVX, not AVX 512. So it, it actually worked out pretty well for AMD. They, they were happy to see those results, certainly. Um, and again, this isn't saying anything that the when these codes, if they're re, uh, rejiggered for uh, 
to support the the 512 vector sizes and the instructions that they won't perform better they they certainly could but uh as it turns out the default codes that are running out there now are going to run pretty well on the uh on the epic chips so what we're seeing so far is for the limited number of benchmarks that have been run if you can't implement the avx 512 because you're moving from a xeon environment forward onto the sky lake that there might be a bigger boost in floating point performance going over to the AMD EPIC chip. Now, Intel will counter and say, well, that's exactly why we're implementing AVX 512, because now you can vectorize your code, you can double your performance from there, and theoretically leapfrog where AMD is. Now, AMD will say, well, you know, not every code is like that. So now it's a question of which codes can take advantage of these vector extensions. If, if you can, then Intel is potentially in a better position with the AVX 512 to dominate the AMD performance. And if you can't, then, uh, then AMD is now going to be in potentially a better, uh, better position with this Epic chip versus the Xeon without the AVX 512. So now that reduces you back to a debate over how vectorizable are your applications, are these codes. Yeah, and there's there's a few other variables in here. One of them is well, let's let's talk about the just the AVX side. I mean, if if you have a very vectorizable code, um, in in most cases, I think you could be better off buying the Xeon Phi unless you need a faster clock for whatever reason for uh, for the code itself or for other codes you're going to run there. I mean, basically the the Xeon 5s will give you better performance per dollar and performance per watt than the Xeons will. I mean, they're they're expensive chips, but they're much less expensive than these these high-end Xeon chips. The one they tested in the Anantec uh, benchmarks ran a little over $8,000. These are the, the high-bin chips, and the, the Epic chips actually were about half that price. But if you, if you are, are stuck on x86 or if you're committed to x86, and you have very vectorizable codes, I would think you you take a good hard look at the Xeon Phi's, which are a more uh, sort of economical solution to that sort of uh, solution set, I think. But that brings up a really good point, is that this comparison is strictly x86 versus x86. And if you're looking at vectorizable codes, now do you want to bring GPUs into the mix? One reason that AMD isn't implementing something like AVX 512 on Epic is because they have a complementary GPU strategy. Intel, of course, is going its many-core route with Intel Phi, which has its original roots way back when in being like a graphics processor with that Larrabee uh, project that went on, but now predominantly competes against NVIDIA. So NVIDIA and AMD would both likely take the standpoint that if you have a vectorizable code, many should be looking at GPUs more than Xeon Phi, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that was sort of AMD's design rationale for leaving out the, the wide vector uh, structures and arithmetic in their Epic chip. That's what they said. But in a sense, Intel made the opposite choice. I mean, they didn't have a GPU, but they had a a many-core processor that was analogous to a GPU, and they've decided to duplicate the the vector unit in the the Xeon as well. So they they sort of went different ways, even though they they had sort of the same decision, didn't quite have the same differentiation between the Xeon and the Xeon 5 that you have between a CPU and a GPU, but they decided to duplicate the the vector feature in both, uh, both platforms. 
So it seems to me that the biggest question that comes up here is, you know, how has AMD done in terms of rebuilding its relevance in the HPC space here? Because you pointed out quite um, uh, quite well in your article on top500.org that a lot of people have questioned AMD's presence here, including me going back to previous podcasts and AMD's strategy and wherewithal here. But if what you've got in the market now is... HPC users who are reluctant to make a lot of changes to their codes, who've been in an x86 environment. And I just want to say, look, I, I don't want to vectorize anything. I, I just want to take my code, move it forward the best I can. Now it looks like the AMD chip might be outperforming the Skylake. Yeah, in, in that sense. And and the I think the bigger the, the bigger issue for people maybe if you don't have just a pure vector code is that the the Epic chips are much less expensive. I mean, they use the example here. They tried to to get comparable chips in these two uh, or in these three benchmarks. It was basically the 7601 Epic on the AMD side, and on the Intel side, it was the Xeon Platinum 8176. That's a 28 core chip against the Epic's 32 core chip, but they're basically the same uh, clock frequency and TDP and all that stuff. So they were what they thought were comparable chips, and one of them. Uh, the Epic chip is basically half the price of the other one, and if your uh, if if your performance on these two is is comparable or or even maybe a little bit less or more in one direction or the other, the AMD looks very very attractive from just a pure upfront cost point of view, and I think the performance per watts are going to be pretty similar on these on these two clocks. Well, it's going to be a long and interesting battle. This is only round one. This is only a couple of benchmarks. This is only very early on. You also mentioned in your article on Top 500 that they also looked at big data, right. not just uh, some of the, the pure HPC side. And that was when the, the advantage seemed to, to get neutralized or maybe even swing back to the Skylake side. Right. The the Skylake edged the Epic chip on these, this big data benchmark, which is basically a series of of codes that they put together, a compilation. And Skylake came out about 5% faster, but I think that could have turned either way, it sounded like, depending upon the mix of uh, the mix of codes in there. I mean, we should point out that the Epic uh, CPU itself has better memory bandwidth, uh, at least on paper, than the, the Xeon chips because they have more memory controllers, so there's more aggregate bandwidth. But... Uh, it won't necessarily transfer to an, any particular application unless it's it's very bandwidth bound, memory bandwidth bound. But uh, it does have an advantage there. So I think on big data and data analytics, you're probably going to see a mix of, of results there and on that side. An interesting story, Michael, and we're going to keep tracking it, of course, as, as the chips do battle out in the marketplace. Also this week in HPC, as you reported on top500.org, Cray going through another round of layoffs. Now, this is a company we've been tracking through its resurgence in HPC. It's put together a string of profitable years, although it narrowly eked that out last year. And now we're seeing a big layoff uh, in the works at Cray. Yeah, it's a significant layoff. They're laying off 100, about 190. In fact, they've already done most of this, 190 employees out of a workforce of approximately 1,300. So that works out to between 14 15% of the total. And it's, in a sense, it's not all that surprising. Uh, Craig talked even last year about a slowing 
supercomputing market that they're seeing, and it's continued into this year. And, and I think they've they've done the the math, and they feel like they can't really keep the same workforce going forward. So they had to basically do a reduction in force across basically their all of their uh, their offices. I think they said it's something's going to come out of each division and each uh, each geography. So it's going to be basically across the board. Yeah, I don't see this as being a technology problem. It more has to do with Cray falling to the market conditions for its core customers. Uh, Cray survives a lot on these public sector, predominantly government supercomputers at the high end of the market. And, uh, you know, although the whole market for HPC is relatively stable, we've seen a flattening in public sector spending where a lot of the growth that we've had uh, forecast in the market is well over the past few years and also in the coming five years is forecast to be in the commercial side whereas the public sector is a lot flatter and then also supercomputers which have been a good growth rate part of the industry but that growth rate is also subsiding by the time you look at the intersection of I'm in large public sector supercomputers just the, the growth rate isn't there right now in the forecast yeah and it just Anecdotally, it looks like some of the some of the uh, procurements are just sort of uh, lengthening a little bit. It's you know you look at the DOE and even some of the universities, and they would keep a system for you know three to five years and then replace it. It seems like they're getting a little longer than that. Just I mean, one example that stands out just because it's the biggest DOE supercomputing center in a sense is Oak Ridge. They've they've had the Titan system since uh, 2012. It's now you know, 2017, they're not probably going to get the replacement, which is going to be Summit in uh, at least the end of this year, probably more like the beginning of next year. So that's almost a six-year cycle, which seems pretty long for your premier DOE lab. I mean, the Titan system has has Opterons, for gosh sakes, and, you know, Kepler-era uh, NVIDIA chips in it at this point. So that's an aging system now, and it seems like they should have got something, you know, somewhere in the 2016 or 17 time frame, all things being equal, but uh, that seems like it's a year or two late to me. Sales cycles have been lengthening across HPC, Michael. Now, they're not, nothing like six years on average. Most right. people replace their HPC clusters a lot faster than that, but we do track the life cycles as part of our uh, annual survey process, and, and those have been lengthening. We think the predominant reason for that is is because of this uncertainty around architectures in the market where end users uh, have, have wanted to delay as long as they can, committing to one uh, processor architecture line over another. Uh, now that we start seeing some of these benchmarks coming in, like we were talking about in the first half of the podcast, uh, maybe you'll start seeing some uh, some more users making up their mind and reaccelerating their their uh, their their purchase cycles. But uh, that does have a deleterious effect on the market. Of course, when the sales cycles lengthen out, that has the effect of dropping revenue out of one year and into the next year as these purchase cycles slow down. We have seen that effect in the market. Yeah, and these bigger systems, they, they tend to be a little longer lived than, than your average cluster. But uh, with, with Cray, is, is obviously a company that's very sensitive to that. Even if it lengthened out by 10%, that, that impacts their revenue stream uh, compared to previous years. So they, they have to react. I mean, one thing they are doing, and they mentioned this in the SEC filing when they were 
announced their uh, their their layoffs is they're they're going to hire in certain areas that they've sort of refocused on, mainly in the analytics space. They're they're uh, Eureka lines, they're Eureka GX and the Eureka XC. That's the software side of it, and they're also now into into more an AI focused platform and they've, they've dipped their toe into cloud computing and they think some of this could make up uh, some of the lost revenue for their traditional supercomputing uh, sales. But uh, you know, that's a long-term strategy and they will hire into this space, but probably nothing that completely replaces those, those 190 workers in, in any kind of short term. Ultimately, Michael, the race is not to have the most employees, but you're trying to run a profitable company here. And and I think this is Cray right-sizing the market conditions. They have had a string of successful, profitable years, and we'll be able to see if that continues through them taking uh, taking this action halfway through 2017, how they their business winds up at the end of the year. Yeah, uh, definitely something we'll be watching as, as the year continues. All right, Michael, thanks very much, and thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.